Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Treatment Room. I'm your host, Tessa Zolli. In today's episode, we will be approaching a conversation around wellness, beauty, and skincare from a medical perspective. I can't wait to get into it. So welcome to the show, Dr. Sumitha Posina. Thank you so much for having me, Tess. Yes, it's such a pleasure to have you. I know you have a really impressive educational history and practice, and we're just so lucky to have you on the show. I'd love to get started asking you more about your practice and what you specialize in. Absolutely. Um, I'm an internal medicine uh, physician. I usually um, work at the acute centers, acute hospital centers, and really treat people problems with um you know, that are admitted at the hospital for various reasons, whether it's a pneumonia, stroke. So I'm an internist, so I kind of see all types of problems. Uh, that's the main aspect that I do, but I'm also trained in dermatological procedures and um, I do a lot of skincare, uh, dermatology related problems, address them. So um, that's essentially what I do. Yeah. Very cool. It seems like such a range. I'm sure you're treating, like you said, really serious, acute illnesses, but you're also treating um, things we're all concerned with that present on the outside. I'd like to know more about you, where you're from, a little bit about your backstory and how you got into this whole world of medicine and skincare. So I was born in India originally, um, grew up in Jersey, and went to medical school. I was in New York City for a few years. I've been in New York now for several years, uh, almost more than a decade, yes. Uh, and, and that's pretty much where I'm from. As far as coming to the, my skincare journey, actually, it starts so it started so early. I would say probably in my like seventh or eighth grade ish. Um, I remember vaguely when I was young, I used to go to bookstore with my dad to prep for SATs back in the day, um, Borders Bookstore, because we weren't so technology savvy at that time. And um, he would take me for study hour every day. And I, the the crazy me had this itch for like, oh, I have a pimple. My teenage started and I started developing um, hormonal imbalances in my skin, whether it's like sits here and there. And I got really interested. So I would go underneath my SAT book would be some skincare books that I would pick up. Back then there weren't, there wasn't as much information. I'm talking about the 1990s. Um, there wasn't as much information. So, you know, going into the books, reading, about how a tomato would help or tomato juice or turmeric, herbs, various things. And I would bring them home and go grocery shopping with my mom and be like, mom, I want that. I want this and kind of experimenting. So it really started um, very early in my teenage uh, years. And I've always, always um, wanted to, you know, explore more and more. And I've kept on learning from that age and onwards. And but at the same time, I wanted to be something to, uh, I wanted to have a deeper meaning for what I do. And I've seen so many times, you know, when somebody that's short of breath, if you make them 
feel better. It's such, it's so life-changing, you know, um, whether they're short of breath from a pneumonia or anything. So it's kind of extreme. Yes, I like this superficial, oh, how to make myself look uh, amazing to like, oh, I really want to help out people be able to breathe or, you know, simple things, you know, um, or help with their blood pressure. Because uh, what happens people don't realize is that it's, it's a lifestyle. If you're not physically doing well, no matter how much you do externally, it's it's not going to show through. Whether you're physically or mentally um, ill, it will, you could put all the retinols, all the creams, but it's not going to cut it necessarily. So, um, for, so over years and decades, I've developed this knowledge of natural ingredients, all these scientific ingredients like retinols and, you know, science and really knowing your body, um, internally and externally. Absolutely. Yeah. That was one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you because I feel like you probably have a really unique perspective on how both mental and physical health not only affects our bodies and the level of inflammation we experience, but how that reflects on the outside. Are there certain elements of somebody's lifestyle that you kind of target in your practice to address these concerns? Absolutely. You know, um, there are several aspects that we focus on and all of them are equally important. Um, You know, nutrition, nutrition is very huge. What you put into your body, um, how much sleep you're getting, as we know, that has a huge impact, whether it comes to beauty or heart disease or mental illness. Um, So nutrition, sleep, movement i don't necessarily even say exercise but some form of activity and movement is very very important um so these are some of the things that i focus largely on um and also mental health is something that's very very important and especially over the past year and a half is ever since this pandemic has started i think that has even taken a bigger hit than normal Oh, yes. Yep. I've definitely experienced it myself, the perioral dermatitis, more breakouts, even change in oil levels in my skin. So can definitely agree with you there. The mental health is a huge piece of it. And I want to even just get a little bit more micro about some of the things you talked about, because a lot of my listeners are estheticians, people interested in taking care of their skin and their overall health. But as estheticians, we can't always educate as specifically as I I would like on some of these areas in people's lives. So let's let's start with nutrition. I know you you mentioned that. How do you approach a conversation about nutrition in your practice? Are there things that you you want your patients to include in their diet, things you want them to exclude, or how do you kind of approach that? Um, well, I obviously say, you know, life is short and long. So, you know, balance is key. First thing, balance is key. Excessive, anything could throw off balance. But more importantly, I um, focus a lot when it comes to internal to external beauty. I focus a lot on inflammation and I 
you know, a lot of the problems we see on our skin, whether it's redness, acne, um, or exacerbation of eczema, psoriasis, various skin conditions, or even SIDS or hormonal, um, all of these kind of um, arise from inflammation. That is the key factor. So I focus a lot of um, foods that are rich in antioxidants, you know, I mean, everybody knows green leafy vegetables, fruits, certain fruits in moderation, especially if you're, you know, if you have uh, uh, abnormal sugar levels or diabetes, so forth. But in general, really focusing on probiotics, antioxidant rich foods, this is what I always tell them. But at the same time, you know, it's not like you can't indulge in, you know, occasional chocolate and so forth. You know, there's a there's a lot of rep about dairy, for example, uh, with Mm -hmm. inflammation. And, you know, it's not completely clinically proven, but it's something that you have to experiment with yourself. Every individual is different. If you're having a lot of hormonal imbalances, if you're breaking out a lot, maybe cutting out dairy can help you. You know, I'm not saying it helps everybody, but it's a it's a trial mechanism. But really focusing on um, very hydrating and antioxidant-rich foods and probiotics is what I encourage them to do. And and also eating a wide variety, different colors, eating seasonal foods. These are all um, great in general. I love that balanced approach and the way you are specific about what you can encourage because no doubt those things make a difference in somebody's quality of life. But I really appreciate that perspective on on balance. And, and essentially, I think as as estheticians or even as a doctor, the key thing is not adding more stress and making it feel like somebody's life has to be so controlled to the point where it's they can't enjoy things and they don't look forward to meals because they feel so restricted. I also wanted to ask you about inflammation because I think we hear that word all the time, but kind of from a medical perspective, what is inflammation? Is there such thing as a little bit of positive inflammation? Do you have anything to say about that? Um, there is, I mean, all our bodies have inflammation. There is no such thing as positive inflammation or negative inflammation, but it's all cumulative. For example, a great thing um, I usually discuss when it comes to inflammation is stress. I'll just, for example, uh, describe that. Anytime our body experiences any sort of stress because of a situation or, you know, all of a sudden somebody scares you from behind, we all um, release something called stress hormones. And those are adrenaline and cortisol. And there's a whole uh, science behind this. Your hypothalamus activates your pituitary, which in turn activates your adrenal uh, glands, which are located right about the kidneys, and they get triggered and release these hormones. So now cortisol is so pro-inflammatory. Yes, it's great because we have this fight or flight response, which comes from the inflammation, you know, the cortisol. But when you accumulate this over time, whether you're suffering from anxiety or stress from work or stress due to any um, reason, 
you are going to accumulate cortisol. And what that does is it increases inflammation. So now what about this inflammation? The way we see inflammation is that there is you know, good guys, bad guys, there's ox- oxygen species and, uh, you know, our, they're called free radicals in our body. And whenever we see anti-inflammatory or antioxidant, you're basically protecting against this free radicals. Free radicals are prone to uh, damaging your skin. Um, they are, they, they affect your immunity, they affect almost everything because it's all hormonal. Just like I was mentioning, you know, cortisol plays a huge factor in this inflammation that we're talking about, especially skin situation. Um, It is very true. What would be a few simple ways anyone listening could work on reducing stress in our lives? One of the great ways, um, um, is really to create simple routines and rituals that work for them, taking the time to um, give them eat, give themselves self-care. Self-care is very, very important. And also, as I was mentioning, balancing yourself with proper nutrition, sleep, exercise, they've all, when you eat right, you feel right. And you don't have the guilt and you don't have the stress. Oh my God, I did this, I did that. Um, the same thing with, with sleep. Sleep is so important. You need uh, your beauty sleep because that's when you're... Um, body gets to repair and rebuild itself so um in simple terms yes they 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 are so oversaid and you know sound like overrated but trust me they are they're crucial building blocks for a great internal and external health your nutrition your sleep your exercise great skincare regimen, um, and also managing stress. I mean, even if you do all these things, they're all interrelated. So the best way to manage stress is, you know, enjoy some sunshine, connect with your loved ones, um, engage your senses. You know, if you are feeling anxious, maybe um, learn some breathing techniques. There's so many widely available and uh, even deep breathing or going for a jog. Simple things can um, can help a lot. I love that perspective and it's all it's all really so true even though they do sound like simple things and and we hear them so much but I feel like they are the pillars of a good healthy lifestyle and of course that results in our skin. What can you say about sleep hygiene because that's definitely something I selfishly would like to know more about and improve on. Do you have any recommendations when it comes to getting really great quality sleep? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, if you have a lot of things on your mind, of course, it's going to be really difficult to sleep. But there are some things we can do. Um, For example, one of the biggest factors I've noticed a lot of people say is the blue light we use. Um, All the uh, phones, iPads, TV. First thing, don't have a TV in your bedroom, if possible. Um, you know, keep your phone away because that light does affect your sleep. So, um, and also lately, I have developed this habit: whether I'm sleepy or not sleepy, I go into bed 
you know, I, I'll hold a book in my hand and um, try to read it, but go to a bed by a certain time, you know, whatever works. If you have to wake up at 4 a.m., you have to probably go to sleep much earlier than somebody that doesn't have to wake up till 7 a.m. Um, so it really tailored to your lifestyle, but sleep hygiene, I think uh, avoiding any of these, um, blue, you know, blue lights and uh, technology gadgets. Um, and sometimes even painting your room certain colors helps like um, blue. It's supposed to be very soothing. White is supposed to be soothing. Uh, there are lights, there's certain lights, I think that mimic um, the the sunlight. So that helps with waking up at a certain time. Um, and also the light in your bedroom is um, very effective at doing that too. Okay, definitely noted. I want to ask you about supplements in regards to sleep. Maybe we can start there and also talk about supplements in regards to skin health. Are there certain ones that you you do recommend or believe in so you know this this is going to be very different than what you hear most of the time i'm not a big supporter of um of supplements in general i'm uh, i think there's so many out in the market they're not fda regulated it's not just the one ingredient that somebody takes it's the other things that uh, that make up that pill um and you know, I'm, I'm very much, I'm always very much worried about the data, you know, on what's been put out there. So unless somebody's actually deficient, for example, if somebody's vitamin B12 deficient or vitamin D deficient, um, you know, they get their routine physical and they can, they can supplement it, you know, if they're low in it or they're folic acid or even taking a multivitamin, I'm absolutely okay with it. But supplements specifically for the skin, the collagen supplements, the sleep supplements, I'm really not a huge fan of because there is not much data. There's no large uh, clinical studies that show that it's for this. Um, so I'm not a big supporter of that unless somebody has a proven deficiency um, that should definitely be supplemented. Of course, vitamin D, for example, it affects your sleep, your immunity, uh, your skin health so much. So of course you should, your bone health, of course you should definitely supplement um, vitamin D if you're deficient in it. Um, but other than that, no, I'm not a big supporter of supplements. Mm, okay. What about for somebody who really has a hard time falling asleep or has insomnia? Would you suggest starting with those sleep hygiene practices first? Absolutely. Like, you know, when I know earlier I forgot to mention sleep hygiene, you know, a lot of people don't realize when they're drinking caffeine, whether it's in the form of the tea, coffee, it's still can, you have to be um, very careful about the amount of caffeine you're consuming and how sensitive you are to it. That may be a strong reason why you're not falling asleep. So try to uh, have your stimulants before uh, 12 p.m. in the afternoon. So like before that time, you know, developing simple habits like that, going to bed certain time, adjusting your lighting in the room, practicing breathing techniques. Um, some people say meditation helps. So I always also recognize that, you know, for somebody to be tired, it's important. So 
uh, not just mentally tired, but mentally and physically tired. So some sort of activity during the day, um, you know, being active also makes you more tired and you're more prone to sleeping better. So all these things are very important for sleep hygiene. At the same time, I wouldn't want to work out at 8, 9 p.m. when I'm trying to go to sleep at 10 p.m. because you have an influx of all great hormones workout, so you're a little bit energetic, and that could be something that's preventing you from sleeping. So you really have to look at your habits and see what could be um, adjusted and try to go that route before trying you know, supplements and all these other um, routes. Unregulated things. Okay. That makes yes. sense. And I, I really love the emphasis on routine because I noticed that that is just, you know, the best way for me to get on a consistent sleep schedule. It's really difficult. I think, especially for, you know, younger people, people in their twenties and thirties or people who might be in college or going out on the weekends when your schedule gets interrupted, you're out late on the weekends. And then during the week, you're on a strict nine to five kind of schedule. Absolutely. And, you know, I say, you know, maybe one day if your sleep cycle is off and you're tired, don't take naps. Don't take naps. Even if you're prone to, maybe you'll be more tired and it's easier to fall asleep. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, that's good to know. I can't nap, so that makes me feel better. Sometimes I feel like I'm missing out, but then I just notice I have trouble falling asleep. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. I'd rather just be a little bit, a little bit tired throughout the day and then have my bedtime. Okay. I wanted to circle back a little bit to acne because it's, I know it's something you mentioned you personally struggled with a little bit and it can be difficult to treat fully as estheticians sometimes when hormones are involved. I'd love to hear more about how you treat acne and a physician's perspective on treating it successfully. Good skin cleanup is great. I've, you know, personally myself, I get facials. I love my estheticians. Um, I do because, you know, uh, I get clogged up and those can lead to more inflamed um, acne, um, I I don't know, flare-ups. So I do love the clean, I do love my uh, facials for regular cleanup, but really it comes to, uh, basics i you know depending acne is very different for everybody you know some people have it really intense some people have it mild but one of the things i always say regardless whether it's acne or non-acne some basics are the same right which is cleansing exfoliating hydrating and uh protection sun protection so these are these are non-negotiable really in skincare if you're trying to be the best at your skincare game. These are absolute um, essentials. But at the same time with acne, depending, you know, like depending on the intensity of it, I could use anything from like a salicylic acid to a benzoyl peroxide. Um, I mean, retinols. Retinols are great for acne. Um, of course, retinols are the gold standard in skincare. We all know that because it helps with cell turnover, acne, pigmentation, collagen production, and everything. I also struggle a lot uh, with the um, post um, acne marks a lot. They take 
months like I'll develop a zit now and it will take me like two months to get rid of it really <laughs> so you know the, uh, the all the brightening agents like vitamin c um, as lake acid niacinamide when I'm developing a zit really go with the uh, treatments for me I use a lot of salicylic acid based products uh, also sulfur based products also work so you really have to pick and choose what works for you it sounds like you're definitely a believer in good topicals and skincare and skin treatments. I don't know if this is an area you specialize in, but when it comes to things like antibiotics um, or oral prescriptions, do you have any thoughts about those? Because I know I'm always, you know, having first time clients come in um, come to me and say things like, should I pursue that route first with antibiotics? Should I work with you? Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. As I was mentioning, depending on the severity of the acne, uh, once you see somebody's skin and you know they're not just a mild or, you know, borderline moderate, if they're struggling with a good amount of moderate to high intensity acne, uh, antibiotics, you know, tetracyclines, just doxycycline, um, are, are great medications. Try to calm down the uh, uh, bacteria they are antibacterial and anti-inflammatory so they are a great route depending if they are a candidate for it and on top of that besides antibiotics sometimes we have to understand it's not just the acne if they're developing chin acne but they're also developing some hairs and they have abnormal cycles um you know they're uh they have abnormal hair growth in various areas of the face. So these all have to be taken. Maybe they have PCOS and they yes. have hormonal imbalance. So different medications, not all acne has to be treated a certain way. What I was suggesting was a typical over-the-counter topicals earlier. But yes, depending when the intensity of your acne is more and more, um, Yes, you need to be on stronger regimens. You may you you may need antibiotics. You may need based on the cause of it. You may also need other medications, like I was saying, um, that can help with your acne. Is there anything you believe estheticians should know about treating treating clients with hormone disorders or perhaps PCOS, endometriosis? Is there anything SD should know when working with clients and providing recommendations for skincare routines and, and facials, things like that? I mean, absolutely. You know, the estheticians examine the skin. They see if it's whiteheads or blackheads. Um, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they all see, look for those things because, you know, when they're examining it, um, that's one thing I would pay attention to. But honestly, really telling people to go see uh, a professional and get their hormone levels um, checked, you know, they have to be if somebody has PCOS, they have to get their testosterone, their estrogen, LH, FSH, all these levels to be really assessed to say to what extent they have it, because they may need to be um, actually treated for it with the medications and to, uh, whether it's OCPs to regularize their cycles, um, so they're more regular. It You have to treat the root cause. I always say this about anything, you know, if you have a thyroid problem, you have to address the thyroid problem and not 
just take supplements for the hair loss. You know, um, you know, it's 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 very much like that. Yes, I would. If somebody has medical problems, they should be uh, treated unless they're gynecologist. Our OBGYN, they said, no, you don't need to be on treatment. Then they just maintain topically or uh, with the help of a dermatologist or an esthetician. Yes. Okay. And I'd love to ask you more about hormone testing. I've, I've noticed with several clients, I've referred them out or sent them for blood testing because it seems like they have obvious hormonal imbalance that's presenting with, you know, jawline acne, um, more inflamed breakouts. And then they've had the experience where their blood tests haven't shown anything unusual. Is that something you've, you've dealt with? And do you have any insights about why that possibly could be? Absolutely. You know, sometimes um, all the, you know, if somebody has PCOS, it doesn't necessarily, for example, I'm just saying, they doesn't necessarily mean they have cysts in their ovaries, uh, although it is polycystic ovarian syndrome, or they necessarily fit the hormonal thing. They could have the atypical PCOS, where they're seeing hirsutism, a little bit of hormonal acne, but they don't have the full complete picture of it. Um, so it could be in their earlier stages or it could be an atypical version. It doesn't necessarily ma- mean that they don't have hormonal imbalances. They probably don't have a significant amount of hormonal imbalances that are picked up on their blood work. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, you know, if they don't have anything to be treated, then they don't get treated for it. But I would still, you know, address if they are developing uh, a breakout, then it's still a breakout. I would address them with the topicals and, um, you know, talk to their dermatologist about possibly getting on antibiotics um, or, you know, whatever they need to be on a more intense retinol or so forth. Okay. What about insulin resistance? Is that something you face or tackle in your practice? And do you see that playing a role in acne? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's, um, it kind of circles back to um, insulin resistance could be due to uh, various things. Again, you know, diabetes, uh, PCOS, a lot of PCOS, as I was mentioning earlier, metformin, because that does affect um, your hormones. So that all boils down to insulin resistance. And the same thing with stress, because it increases your cortisol levels and cortisol actually, um, there is more insulin, it increases more, um, it increases your blood sugar levels. So they are all intertied with each other. And it's very important to uh, maintain a balanced uh, blood sugar level in your or balanced insulin levels. Um, definitely. Okay. Yes. okay. What about just general, general people listening who want to make sure their hormones, even if they're not experiencing a classic disorder, but How could we, and maybe I should more specifically ask about women, how can we do things in our daily life to ensure hormone balance as much as possible, especially if we are looking at acne and seeking to to just 
keep things as balanced as possible from the inside out? Well, really, um, you know, sometimes journaling can help like what you're consuming kind of keeping track exercise definitely helps because you have better blood flow and um you mentally feel better and that helps with stress also any day-to-day stresses really kind of developing a journal if you are having um any imbalances in your skin and you want to balance them out is a great way to start identifying the triggers or stressors in your life. Um, Mm -hmm. That's one thing. And also just developing simple things like a routine or ritual, okay? A ritual that you can stick to, whether it's, you know, nowadays people are so influenced by social media and I think we have to take away that kind of anxiety away and kind of make a ritual that works for you, your timeline, your schedule, your energy levels. Um, and also, you know, when you journal this and when you make your own rituals, you kind of observe what's working for you and what doesn't. And, you know, and getting yearly routine physical exams and making sure your vitamins, your like thyroid, all these are checked out every year, your um, hemoglobin A1C or blood sugars, because it identifies a lot of um, problems um, so it's very important that these are some of the things you could do to help yourself. Absolutely. What would be some some signs of potential hormone imbalance that somebody might be thinking about as they're journaling anything when it comes to our bodies that we should be aware of that would be an indicator of some sort of imbalance? Well, I mean, really like writing down how you're feeling, it it is so broad what one can experience, whether your breakouts or you're feeling anxious during certain times or um, you're feeling depressed or, you know, maybe you're experiencing more breakouts during your period time. So that's why it really helps to identify what time you are um doing this for example say there's a certain time of the month you're breaking out more which is expected we know that so maybe you can tailor your skincare regimen a bit more like uh, geared towards acne um, during that time period although you don't necessarily have acne so really identifying or maybe when you've been out and you've been eating so much dairy the past few days because you're on vacation or you're like you know whatever it is or you're eating outside food and you've eaten certain foods maybe journal journaling that can say that is throwing my hormones off and maybe that's why i feel a certain way i feel less energetic or i feel um i'm having more breakouts or it could be something like i'm not sleeping well i've only slept eight hours so journaling can help in so many ways okay and really identifying why you didn't sleep because everything has to do with your hormones all these skin issues internal to external they have a lot to do with hormones so really regu- regulating that and just that just as important as your yearly checkups too like i was mentioning so all these things um the day-to-day journaling i'm not saying you have to do throughout your life but if you do them one or two months and you identify certain things that work for you and certain things that don't work for you it can help you develop regimens that you can stick to to minimize the problems. I love this idea of journaling, Dr. Pasina. I feel like that's a really smart idea even for 
estheticians to talk about with clients because sometimes we have our clients come to us and and they're just saying, I'm breaking out. I don't know what's changed. I don't know what's differently. But if we have, like you're saying, a diary of, of these things that you've been going through and that have been going on in your life, it might be a little bit easier to pinpoint. And I guess a follow-up question to the journaling would be, okay, say a client has, like you said, been on vacation, they've been eating more dairy than usual, their sleep schedule has been off. How soon could somebody expect a little bit of disruption from something like food they're not normally eating or, or being off their schedule or experiencing more stress? Could they notice an immediate response? Would it be delayed a little bit? Um Depending on how sensitive uh, one is, it's very dependent from person to person. Some people are more sensitive than others. If I eat some, say you're on an extremely clean diet normally, you eat all veggies, you eat so balanced, and all of a sudden you're on this vacation and you put, you're eating tons of cheese, you're eating, you're drinking a lot more alcohol, your body may not be able to handle this sudden change. So you will probably see immediate changes within the 24 hours. You may be more bloated, um, you may be nauseous, depending on how your body reacts. You may be having diarrhea or some abdominal discomfort. That's very dependent um, from individual to individual and how clean you were to how extreme you went. Um, but yeah, it could be very soon within like okay. 24 hours. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And how about things like allergy tests or intolerance tests, assuming it's done through a medical practitioner, not just something online, but doing legitimate tests like those for food allergies or sensitivities, how helpful do you think those are? Oh, those can be great, especially if you're noticing that you are allergic to something and you're not able to, uh, either you identified it or you did not identify it, but you sense that you are allergic to something um, or have a doubt that you may not tolerate it. it. There's no harm in getting a test done for that. And you, sometimes you could do it at your uh, at your own convenience too. For example, if I notice that I'm eating dairy and I'm feeling more bloated, maybe eliminate dairy for a few days and see how that helps. Versus um, if I'm having an allergy where I'm developing an itching if I eat a certain, mm -hmm. after I drink a certain tea or something, maybe that's something that should be, uh, should go into um more deeper observation and also get tested if necessary. Okay, really good to know. And you did mention hair loss, and I know it's an area that you specialize in. Really interesting. You mentioned thyroid issues and hair loss because that's exactly what I went through during the pandemic. And I'm usually, I do have Hashimoto's. I'm pretty good about getting regular tests, but sometimes the tests aren't set up to be as often as we realized I need, but could you talk a little bit about hair loss? I know it's something my audience has been saying is a little bit of a pain point and something we notice as we get older. How can people address and treat hair loss? Okay, so one of my pet peeves I see so many people doing, um, honestly, is... Oh, 
I'm losing more hair. They sense it. Then what they end up doing is, okay, I'm going to go buy hair loss supplements. This is mm. almost like so many people come and say, like, oh my God, I'm losing hair. I'm going to, I'm going to buy biotin. I'm going to buy this. What is a great supplement? This is how a lot of people, believe it or not, actually start looking into it. What I say is when somebody's experiencing hair loss, really make an observation, um, how much you're losing. Cause it's okay to lose a certain amount of hair every day, you know, on average about hundred stands, but we're not going to keep count of all that. We, somebody will know when they're losing hair and, if they're sensing it by that time, what I tell them to do is go for a, a checkup, you know, your hormone, your, uh, your vitamin levels, your vitamin D, your thyroid, all these are very, very important. First, get your basic blood work done and then jump onto the um, supplement bag. <laughs> That's always okay. what I say. So, you know, so you identify, because for example, if you, um, if you're struggling, you know, even stress is a very big factor. We've, you know, for hair loss, but when somebody yes. struggles through that, you have to come up. There is no uh, magic pill for stress. Unfortunately, there is nothing, you know. Uh, um, what? Um, <laughs> Yes, there is no magic pill for stress. So what can you do about it? You you learn how to cope with it, how to address it, uh, minimize the triggers that are causing your stress, um, meditate, you know, exercise and, and so forth. These are the things you could do. Uh, spend quality time with loved ones. These are all things that calm you down and, you know, um, so you have to address it in that route if you're experiencing because of that. But regardless, going back to our hair loss, yeah, address the root cause, the medical cause of it always, uh, whether it's postpartum or whether it's thyroid or it's a vitamin D deficiency or you're deficient in biotin or folic acid or anything like that. And then you supplement with what your deficiencies or you treat it with your root cause. That's the best way to go about it. And of course, if there's no ident uh, identifier, then you can try supplements, then you can try, um, you know, uh, PRP injections stimulate like you know with peppermint oil various things you could obviously try and i know prp has been on the rise over the past few years and you yes. know it's it's kind of really harmless um it it's great to try out if you don't know what exactly is causing it or you know what's causing it and you want to supplement with growth basically you take your um own blood we spin it we take out the pla uh, plasma rich portion um and we inject it back into your scalp and that really has a lot of growth factors that can help promote hair growth. I know a lot of, of clinics and, and medical spas offer the PRP as sort of an add-on to microneedling. Do you have any feelings about how worth it is for somebody to make a little bit more of an investment in PRP as opposed to just microneedling? Well, I mean, depending on the area of your loss, that's how I see it. If you have a okay. large area of uh, hair loss, you could do PRP injections. You could also try microneedling. It's not that one is better over the other, uh, but both of them work pretty well you can't um, 
target but so many injections, then microneedling may be an easier route. And sometimes I prefer to do both of them depending on the, it really depends on how the surface area and the hair loss area looks. Um, that's how you choose if you were to choose in between. But there are some people that we do both of them on. I know you're obviously really in at the forefront of medicine and in the hub of all these treatments. Are there certain things that you favorite or feel are really valuable and just would like to talk about in terms of treatments you see a lot of success in. I know you you are certified in so many things, anti-aging therapies, cell therapy. So I'd just love to learn more if there's anything you feel is super incredible. Absolutely. You know, so I always say really tailor it to yourself. Try to maintain it. You know, so I always start with a good skincare regimen because no matter how many treatments you do, it's like if you don't maintain it, the, you know, if you don't protect, I could do an amazing chemical peel, but if you're out in the sun, um, you know, a lot and you're going to cause sun damage, so sun protection. So skincare is number one. I do really like chemical peels. Depending um, for every few months, maybe like a Jesner's, for, um, you know, uh, cell turnover, um, really helping with the pigment and just giving um, a boost to the skin. I'm a firm, uh, I like chemical peels tailored to your skin type and your skin needs. If somebody has hyperpigmentation, it's different versus somebody that's just looking for a gentle peel. Or if you're struggling with acne, maybe a salicylic acid-based peel, um, so really tailored to one's needs. So chemical peels, um, these are two, I would say. And also prevention-wise, Botox is amazing. If you want to prevent um, aging, especially developing forehead lines, it's, it's great at prevention. We have great data with it. And people who've done it always love it. Um, it's another great way of, of preventing the um fine lines around the eyes or your forehead. Um, yeah. And the rest, really, I mean, there's so many treatments. There's lasers, there's uh, microneedling, there's PRP, um, there is um, aqua gold infusions or gold facials. There's so many things one could do, but it really depends on what your needs are because not everybody needs to do a laser treatment. You know, it really... It, it, but these are some of the few things, great skincare, routine, facials, if, if especially if your skin is congested or you want basic cleanups and, you know, preventative Botox and chemical peels, especially post-summer going into the holiday season. It's a great time to get chemical peels, you know, to, to, to take away some of that sun damage and so forth. Yep. Those are all my favorite things. I think everyone listening knows I love a little bit of Botox, love my chemical peels, microneedling lasers. They've all really helped me keep my skin young. And I just, I'm obsessed with treatments. I always have been. I wanted to ask you, Dr. Pacina, when it comes to chemical peels, these are obviously stronger depth peels that you're providing are there any tips 
because I'm thinking there might be some overlap with SDs who are performing peels as well. Anything you do when it comes to the client's routines as prep or post-care to really get the most out of the results and, and perhaps avoid any potential problems? Um, so as far as the prep, you know, I usually tell them to stop whatever they're using, any strong, uh, strong acid. Depending on the depth of the peel, um, it's very variant. If I'm doing a regular Jesner's peel, it's not a, a big deal, but are like, are like a milder version of any peel. But if I'm doing stronger peels, I usually tell them to stop everything so there's no overexfoliation or too much interaction and mm -hmm. slowly depending on the peel there's some peels you're absolutely fine walking out of the door you're not even red but there's strong ones that you'll be peeling for you know days and days afterwards so i really keep it simple and gentle i um try not to put um not putting any strong agents but of course i slowly depending on the depth of the peel start adding in retinols um at tolerable levels uh, to maintain the results a lot of times, but that's over time, and that's really dependent on which chemical peel that was done to boost the, to, to accelerate the cell turnover. Okay. Have you had any, any experiences that you've learned from when it comes to chemical peels? I mean, hopefully not anything too bad, but any sort of education you could pass on in terms of something you've learned from a chemical peel experience? Yes. I think starting out uh, gentle and really somebody that knows the skin well, especially if you're a skin of, um, you know, Fitzpatrick four, five, six, you have to be a bit more careful because you're going to develop, even if a tiny burn, you're more prone to developing post-inflammatory um, hyperpigmentation, and that's even more harder to treat. Um, and also taking it, if you are sensitive, if somebody is very naive and sensitive to chemical peels, start it slower than doing them in very aggressive peels sometimes because people don't realize because they have these standard peels that they think work for because they're sold as they're safe for all skin types. But you'd be surprised how some people are sensitive because they're so new to it. Absolutely. Sometimes it's better to undertreat if you're not sure how somebody's going to respond to, to avoid any kind of response like that with a darker Fitzpatrick or a sensitive client, for sure. Dr. Pasina, I'd love if you could walk us through, obviously, what you do is not going to be, you know, something everyone else should directly copy, but I'm just super interested to hear more about a day in your life and some of the routines and products you enjoy. Would you be able to walk us through maybe some things you eat, um, anything special kind of about your lifestyle, things you do, or skincare products you really love in your routine? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I do have my, um, I brush my teeth, very typical, but you know, have my glass of warm water. Um, as far as my skincare regimen is concerned, I always cleanse my skin. Um, 
both in the morning and night. So it starts with a cleanser. I keep it very light, especially these days. I keep it even lighter than normal. Uh, my skin gets very, uh, can't tolerate a lot of products. So I start with cleansing. I use a vitamin C-based serum and a light gel moisturizer nothing too heavy and sunscreen i do wear a lot of sunscreen um i do love my elta md um acne prone or hyperpigmentation prone spf um yeah i really like that it's worked great for my skin because with a lot of spfs i tend to break out that works really well um, for me. So I keep it very, very simple. It's like a three to four step uh, regimen. I don't overdo in the morning because I'm always busier in the morning. Um, unless I'm going to an event or something, it's, it's slightly different, but I keep it simple. And as far as my nutrition, I have my uh, lemon water or just even if I can't do that if I'm not if not I'll just have a glass of um, room temperature water some tea or coffee and have a breakfast smoothie um, I do try to nowadays try to work out in the morning most of the days I at least try to work out four to five times a week even if it's a half hour workout I do something and I really enjoy walking a lot I know it's underrated but I do enjoy walking a lot and I do uh, weight training gentle weight training so these are pretty much what I do um, but any sort of activity is great that's typically um and for lunch, I and then going to lunch, I try to have some veggies, some protein, really eat a balanced meal uh, with carbs, everything, um, a good amount of healthy fats, olive oil, um, and a source of protein, whether it's egg whites or fish and some uh, leafy vegetables. And for if I am good, I mean, I have cheat days too, but for dinner, pretty much the same thing that I eat. The, the idea is to have a carb, a, you know, a protein, fat, and veggies. This is a fun, uh, simple thing I follow, whether I go out or I stay home. Uh, but of course, there are nights where I eat pizza too. So um, it's all about balance because I crave it, I eat it. And and going to my nighttime regimen, nighttime regimen, I love rituals. Um, there's once a week, I do the whole bath salt, the bathtub, you know, have a nice detox tea, take the time for myself. I do that once a week, um, at least try to do it once a week. And, but my nighttime regimen is really, I double cleanse. Um, I do love a lot of cleansers, but lately I've been obsessed with, um, either an oil or a balm cleanser, um, for the past few years, I've been using those a lot more and I use, um, you know, it's very dependent. I'll either use a niacinamide or hyaluronic acid based, um, serum, um, but I don't overdo the hyaluronic acid. That's key. It, it, it's helped me out a lot, actually. So I try to do it maybe once a day. People are tending to overdo hyaluronic acid. Every skincare product is starting to have it. it can be inflammatory. Um, you know, uh, the, you know, when you review the dermatological data and so forth, hyaluronic acid can be inflammatory 
inflammatory. So it is great. It plumps up your skin, but you know, you have to make sure when people are doing it also, they don't do it right. You have to apply it and you have to seal it in with a moisturizer. You know, it, need, it, it, you know, it needs to be sealed in. And a lot of people don't do that. We have mists with hyaluronic acid, everything. It's just sitting there and it's drying your skin out. I want to overdo anything just because something is good. I'm not going to like, you know, do it every single day. You know, or um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna overdo it, is what I mean to say. Sorry, um, I do hyaluronic acid or any other anti-aging serum. Um, really, well, it, 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 I have, I have so many. I'll, I'll just pick and choose one of them. It really varies from time to time, or an acid-based or a glycolic acid-based serum. But I tend not to do too many actives in one night because my skin. Um, is sensitive to them. So I will either moisturize and use a gentle retinol, a glycolic acid or a lactic acid or a mandelic acid-based product and, and uh, keep my skin hydrated. So I will do like a serum or a mix of one or two serums in AHA-based serum um, with a hyaluronic acid or a niacinamide or just do a moisturizer and retinol. Simple. And if I'm feeling extremely tired, I'll just do a moisturizer. So I tailor it to myself, but I keep it simple because this is what I can stick to. And yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Great advice. Yeah, I love it. My last question for you is, would you have any advice to share for those who want to pursue a career in medical aesthetics? Medical aesthetics. Yes, it's a great, great career. Um, I just say, you know, whatever you choose to do in the medical aesthetics world, whether you want to be a dermatologist, esthetician, uh, you just want to be uh, a psychodermatologist, whatever it is, um, but you have to be passionate about it. And you really have to care because if you're just trying to do it because it looks aesthetically pleasing or it sounds great, you have to be you have to be really into it um, and know because you're dealing with not just somebody's skin. You're dealing with their confidence levels. You're yeah, dealing with their self-esteem, you know, so you want to be able to give the right advice. You want to be able, you want to be passionate about it. And really, whatever the route is, you know, learn learn keep learning there's no stopping there's new ingredients there's new data new studies all the time so don't ever stop learning and nowadays it's easier to learn with social media um than even before so yeah you can't even imagine how many new things there are almost daily it seems like and things that come up so you just like dr basina said have to stay curious and want to continue learning. There's never a point where we know it all. So I think that's totally key and spot on. Dr. Basina, thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing all you did and for your time. Are you on social media? Is there somewhere listeners could find you? Yes. Um, I have, I'm at the hashtag Sunsamaya. It's going to be releasing soon. Um, so it's S-U-N-S-I-M-A-Y-A um, on Instagram. And I have a website that is sunsamaya.com. 
And thank you so much uh, for having me. It was amazing chatting with you about all these um, issues. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Pasina. So great to, to hear from you and your expertise. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I will talk to you in the next episode.